0: Hey, are you busy January 19th through the 20th? The Dairy Business Association will be hosting our annual Dairy Strong Conference in Madison, Wisconsin. Dairy Strong brings together farmers representing farms of all sizes and management philosophies to learn, engage, and explore the future of dairy. Farmers receive two free passes per farm when they register by November 1st. Learn more at dairyforward.com backslash
1: Dairy Strong
0: welcome to dairy stream brought to you by the dairy business association and edge dairy farmer cooperative sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in wisconsin and washington dc dairy stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers hi i'm your host mike austin Well, welcome to another edition of Dairy Stream. Today, we're gonna be talking with Jocelyn Johnson. She's a research scientist at SD Genetics. And really the goal of this episode is to identify where dairy cattle can produce more outputs with fewer inputs, and in return, provide farmers with the economic and environmental sustainability that's really necessary for long-term success. And during the first part of our podcast, we're gonna talk a little bit about what is the actual savings and environmental impact. I think just about everyone uh, realizes that feed represents the largest variable input cost of production. Matter of fact, according to the USDA, it accounts for about 51% of total production costs. And so we also know that uh, U.S. dairy farmers have felt the impact of rising feed costs. But as we said, uh, Jocelyn is a researcher, has been working on some pretty interesting projects. And if you don't mind, uh, Jocelyn, tell us a little bit about what the research you're working on. Is this primarily focused on heifers or on cows?
1: Yeah, thanks for that. So, ST Genetics started collecting data in 2014 on growing Holstein heifers. So, given that it's been a substantial time since then, we have a good majority of our research uh, being collected on those heifers that make up our database currently, but last year, and a little bit into 2019, we actually added um, the ability to collect phenotypes for feed conversion efficiency on lactating cows, as well as beef on dairy calves. And so right now, our primary research and EcoFeed database is going to be based on those uh, heifer data points. We have about 5,500 phenotypes collected so far. But- like I said, with the inclusion of those additional systems, we have about 600 phenotypes on those lactating cows and 1,700 phenotypes on the on dairy progeny calves that have been slowly starting to be included into the database as well.
0: Yeah, as we said, maybe it's sort of a subtopic to our conversation is, can genetics impact your farm feed bill? So I wanna get a little more into that. And Justin, can you give us a comparison to what a dairy animal eats now and what could potentially be the feed save that leads to feed efficiency?
1: Yeah, so this is kind of an exciting topic, right, because we haven't really ever in our industry addressed the individual feed conversion um, of animals. And so because we haven't made any selection for that, we know that there's quite a bit of variation, even within uniform groups, in regards to the amount of feed that an animal is going to consume. So based on the data that we've collected, animals with those high feed conversions are those animals that consume less feed and produce the same amount of output at a similar body size, those feed-efficient animals generally consume about 17 to 24% less feed than those inefficient animals. And so even if we were to look within a single pin of animals, it would be common for us to find two animals that have the same body size, level of production, that have a 20% difference in their feed consumption. So in our specific database, based on the average intake of our heifers, uh, we see about a five-pound difference per day in dry matter of the efficient and non-efficient groups and in lactating cows we see about a 10 pound per day difference in dry matter of those inefficient versus efficient lactating cows.
0: So Johnson, if we can put this into dollars and cents I mean what kind of savings per year can a farmer actually see?
1: Let's assume we have a ration cost of 10 cents per pound dry matter for heifers. Mm -hmm. Um, If we were to see that 10 cents per pound of dry matter and we're saving five pounds of dry matter per day, that's going to equate to about $182 per animal per year, or you could think about $300 for that heifer rearing period. And for lactating cows, we said that the efficient cows consume about 10 pounds of dry matter less per day. So ration costs are going to be a little bit higher for our lactating cows. I'm going to use a 14 cent per pound of dry matter cost and that would end up equating to a savings about $511 per year or if we consider average at 2.6 lactations about $1,300 per lactating female. And we can also evaluate this on our beef on dairy calves, so it's a little different, but in a terminal system, we see about a four-pound difference in that feed consumption, and that's going to equate to about $120 per head, um, assuming a 10-cent ration cost in a 300-day feeding period. So, quite substantial savings that we can find in all of these environments.
0: Okay. Well, those are certainly some impressive figures. Again, we're speaking with uh, Jocelyn Johnson, research scientist at ST Genetics, and you are listening to Dairy Stream. And we're not only talking dollars and cents, but we also want to talk about environmental sustainability, something that certainly all producers are much more aware of now. So again, Jocelyn, from your perspective, can you explain what kind of impact that can have when we talk about environmental sustainability?
1: Absolutely. So this is, you know, obviously a growing topic and something that we can no longer ignore in our industry. And we know that intake is going to be highly correlated with uh, methane emissions. And so we know that those animals that are feed efficient kind of provide a farmer with a double-edged, you know, tool that they can use to reduce their feed costs, like we mentioned, but also to increase their environmental sustainability. And so we've worked on some models with Dr. Capri at UC Davis, and we found that If we had that five pounds per day reduction in feed intake, that would result in about 50 grams per day of savings in methane emissions. So if we assume about a 578-day rearing period, those efficient heifers would save about 30 kilograms of methane. And so... You know, probably not a lot of us can understand really what 30 kilograms of methane are, but that would be equivalent to if we were to plant 11 trees and we allowed them to grow for 10 years, the amount of carbon that those trees would sequester in that time period would be about what we would be able to save for each individual cow during that heifer rearing period. So some pretty substantial savings that we can account for.
0: For sure. Now, in talking about this research, is its impact kind of breed neutral or is there a certain breed or crossbred animal that you found that works better with consuming less feed?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of research that's indicated that certain breeds are going to have favorable impacts Um, when we're talking about feed efficiency. A lot of those are going to be driven by some of the body composition, growth, level of productivity differences that might be seen, or, you know, maybe there's advantages to some crossbreds. However, in our research program, we really haven't focused on looking across breeds, but instead identifying animals within a breed and a contemporary group that consume less while maintaining their body size and production. Um, so we don't have a significant amount of data specifically to indicate using one breed versus another. Instead, kind of trying to give the farmers an option of if they have a breed that they favor what are the animals within that breed that are going to consume
0: less than another? Jocelyn Johnson is our guest. She is a research scientist at ST Genetics, and we'll be continue our conversation in a bit, talking about some of the challenges and possible changes when it comes to uh, the impact of your on-farm on feed bill and uh, changing that entire process. But before we do that, uh, Jocelyn, just wanna ask you a little bit uh, about the fact that obviously this is a long-term strategy. So you know, how long does it take to see some actual results?
1: ST Genetics evaluates feed conversion using a trait known as residual feed intake. I point that out because there's a lot of different ways to measure feed efficiency or to describe feed efficiency, but When we look at selection for residual feed intake, we know that this can be done with the same confidence as selection for other economically important traits, as we found the heritability to be around 0.21. And so this is going to be similar to that of other production traits, such as milk yield, fat yield, protein yield. And so a farmer could expect to see similar results. So this means that we can expect progress within even the first generation of offspring. And with any trait, the intensity of selection and the reliability of that measurement, you know, both on the SIRE and Dan the side, they're going to impact that rate of progress. But we like to give an example to our customers where we show a moderate selection of two bowls that are in our current lineup that have a moderate feed conversion. And when we look at two years of genetic selection, utilizing those two sires, we actually can model and find that we would expect that the heifers after two years of genetic selection would each consume about 520 pounds less feed and dry matter during that heifer rearing period than prior to that two year selection.
0: Okay, with that said then, what should be some of the short and long-term goals that a dairy producer really should be focusing in
1: on? Yeah, so for those short-term goals, I think producers can continue to evaluate sires based on their previous selection goals. So, you know, if if a current producer is looking for an ideal animal that fits certain criteria, go ahead and find, you know, a few sires that fit that bill. Maybe you narrow it down to three or four or five sires. And within that group of sires, then you can make a consideration for the feed conversion of that animal. And you can start to slowly make progress while continuing to make progress um, in your other economically relevant areas. And this is going to start kind of moving forward into those long-term plans, the producers then can start to become more aware of the fee conversion status of their farm. So they can start using some of that genomic testing um, with GBI, utilizing that information to then start making decisions on their female side so that they kind of have a double approach where they're making decisions on both the sire and the female side to kind of ramp up the progress that they're going to make. And then, like I said, a producer can simply just utilize feed conversion as what I would say a tiebreaker. So if you're looking at two different females on your farm that, you know, and you're selecting based on net merit and they both have identical net merit, maybe you select the animal that has the higher feed conversion efficiency in that situation. And then moving long term producers can start evaluating those long-term goals of their operations and really consider what is the economic value of this feed and environmental savings and can start kind of adjusting maybe what their index looks like for selection purposes. Maybe they want to put a higher weight on feed efficiency because maybe they're getting paid by a certain market for a more sustainable product or their feed costs are increasing and so that feed bill becomes of a greater value to them, um, and they can adjust that as, as the times change and as feed costs rise and fall, et cetera.
0: Again, that is the voice of Jocelyn Johnson, research scientist at ST Genetics. And when we continue, we'll talk a little bit more about more ways that uh, with fewer inputs, uh, you, the dairy producer, can find some economic and environmental benefits. And we'll get into that, looking at both the challenges and the possible changes that will be happening on your dairy farm. I'm Mike Austin, and you're listening to Dairy Stream. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. With high genetics and optimal efficiency, dairies are creating a sustainable future. That's why ST Genetics partners with dairy men and women to manage their female inventories and create only the most sustainable replacements. Through genomic testing, beef on dairy, and genetics focused on net merit and ecofeed, ST Genetics offers solutions to create sustainable and profitable futures. Visit stgen.com to learn more. The best way to predict the future is to create it. Well, thanks again for joining us today on Dairy Stream. It's brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Our focus today is really to identify where dairy cattle can produce more outputs with fewer inputs and in return provide you the dairy farmer with the economic and environmental sustainability really necessary for long-term success. Our guest is Jocelyn Johnson. She's a research scientist at ST Genetics. And during this segment of Dairy Stream, I wanna talk about some of the challenges and possible changes occurring if you are gonna provide some less feed. And on that point, uh, Jocelyn, with you know calves, heifers, or cows consuming less feed, does that impact the size of the animal or their body condition score?
1: So this is where it really is important to understand what measure of feed conversion someone might be talking about, because there are instances where feed efficiency and those animals that consume less feed may be the smaller animals or those animals with varying body condition scores that Like I said previously, we use a measure of feed conversion called residual feed intake, and we utilize this because it is independent of their body size and level of production. And so this is going to allow us to identify those animals that consume less feed while maintaining their body condition, their size, their level of production. Um, So we aren't going to have any impact on the size of the animals, the condition of those animals, or the production of those animals.
0: So what about the impact, though, on lifespan or pregnancy rate? Is that impacted at all?
1: We have about seven years of data that we've collected. So the Holstein heifers that we start testing in our program are going to maintain throughout the program. And so we have an advantage where we get to collect reproductive data, lifetime data, milking data, as well as that feed efficiency data on those heifers throughout their lifetime. And so it's given us an ability to evaluate the impact that selection for residual feed intake um, or improved feed conversion would have on those other economically relevant traits. And we found that selection for increased feed conversion has no impact on their lifespan, their reproductive abilities, or any of those. Milking type traits, things that um, are important to the dairymen.
0: Well, what about um, you know outside factors, kind of environment? I'm talking about you know the layout of the barn or the parlor or even the stall size. Might that cause some challenges for the producer?
1: General considerations should always be made to optimize, you know, the overall efficiency of an operation. If, if a producer puts too many animals within a pen, that could negatively impact the fee conversion and performance of those animals. This approach from like a genetic standpoint, though, doesn't really involve any limitations. It's, it's kind of like saying if we take an animal in any situation – That group of animals, there's going to be some that are more efficient, some that are less efficient. And no matter what the outside factors are, you know, what from a genetic standpoint are those animals that are going to have favorable feed conversions in that environment? Um, And so this approach kind of allows us to remove some of those challenges uh, that might be from a management standpoint. So we want you to be able to manage as you currently would, uh, making sure that you are, you know, making considerations for what those stocking densities, things like that should be. But we don't expect there to be challenges uh, from selection of this. Like you don't need to put more animals or less animals in a pen because they're feed efficient or not.
0: So if we are providing less feed, though, uh, is that going to impact what's being fed to the animal or can they continue kind of a similar nutrition plan?
1: we recommend that farms continue managing animals as they would previously. So a nutritionist on the farm or the feed crew are going to be formulating rations based on what they assume the average feed intake of that pin is going to be. Um, And generally you should be able to see changes. So, you know, small changes during that first year of genetic selection, you know, if you start to reduce that feed intake over time, we would expect that, those feed crews and the nutritionists on the farm are going to be able to adjust the average intake of that pen accordingly and formulate the ration based on that. So really wouldn't be any different than let's say, you know, in the winter time, our animals may consume a little bit more and the feed crew is going to make those adjustments as needed. This would be kind of the same. And overall, if you are utilizing this type of selection across your herd, um, you know, you might start to see over years, the average intake reducing, uh, but but they don't need to be consuming anything different or being limit fed or anything along those lines, just kind of the same standard practices that we would normally find.
0: You covered this pretty well, but I still want to kind of pick your brain just when we talk about lactating cows. Uh, under this procedure, I mean, does this impact components like fat or protein in those lactating cows?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, like we mentioned previously, the largest part of our database is currently in heifers, and mm-hmm. so heifer feed intake does represent the second largest cost to produce milk. But we never want to be in a situation where we're selecting on a heifer trait that's going to negatively impact that production. And as we begin to add in lactating cow data into this, you know, that database will incorporate both of those periods, but. Currently, that selection for feed conversion as a heifer will result in heifers that consume less feed without impacting those traits as cows. So we've evaluated this on both a component and a yield basis. Uh, We have robotic milking systems, so we're able to collect a lot of data around that milking event, and we find that there's no difference. And one example that we like to show, we actually have seen where we had equal levels of energy-corrected milk in two of our cows, but there was up to 15 pounds different per day in the daily feed intake of those peppers.
0: Mm, Interesting. You're listening to the voice of Jocelyn Johnson, research scientist at ST Genetics. We're talking about uh, trying to reduce inputs in return, providing you the dairy farmer with some economic and environmentally sustainable points that really will help you have long-term success. And when we talk about dairy operations today, no matter what the size, we do talk about the team concept and obviously changing the genetic plan on dairy farm does impact other people besides the farm owner. I mean, you got the breeder, nutritionist, herdsperson, person and more. So does your research take this into consideration? And are there any findings that will help keep it balanced and help reduce errors?
1: So we try to keep the approach simple such that farmers can just add feed conversion in as a selection metric without impacting the selection goals and the progress on their farm. As always, it's going to be important to understand what the trade is and what the reliability of that trade is. And so that's going to incorporate all of those folks that are involved there. You know, the nutritionist needs to be aware that, hey, maybe we might need to tweak some of those expected levels have been taken and so forth. But Overall, I think that we've worked hard to put together some of that educational information, and um, we have a lot of great folks on the technical service side that are happy to kind of help assist and bring some of these groups together if if needed to make sure that at the end of the day, the farmer is going to have success with adding this and incorporating it into their program.
0: Jocelyn, we really thank you for your insights and uh, the clarity you provided on this. And I know it's been of interest to dairy producer. Uh, Just in closing, if you can kind of give us a a workman's definition again, when we talk about that term net merit formula, and then kind of explain what feed efficiency areas will be the next focus point as we move into the future.
1: So feed represents the largest cost to produce milk. I think Every dairyman is going to be aware of that. So in some cases, you know, we said 50% earlier in some farms, it could be even more than that. And so when we start to consider that we now have the ability to select for a trait that's responsible for over 50% of those costs to produce milk, um, I think it's just logical that we start to adjust our selection practices to account for that information So if we were to have two female cows that are equal in all economically relevant areas, repro, milk production, et cetera, and we know that one cow consumes 15 pound less per day than another, I don't think that there's any producer that's going to say, oh, I want to keep the cow that's consuming more per day with no added (laughs) benefits in my herd. So when we start to consider this information that, that we now have and we look at the indexes that... That we might be currently selecting with such as the net merit formulation it's really exciting to think about how these can be incorporated in but it's also a little bit tricky because when we start to include a new trait that's never been selected for um, especially a trait that could have such a high uh, marginal value given that it impacts such a great portion of the cost on a farm we sometimes will get some pushback or hesitation because the weighting in said index may end up being higher than we would expect it to be just based on the overall marginal value of that trait. And so in that situation, when we have a trait that we've never selected for before, we're going to end up seeing situations where we might have two high-value bulls that are divergent in that feed conversion trait. And if we weight that with a decent or a appropriate marginal value, we could end up seeing one of those high bulls maintain its status or if that high value bull had a low feed conversion, it could end up dropping significantly and the industry is already at the tipping point to which selection for this individual animal feed efficiency feed conversion um, are going to start becoming a necessity for the producers to, you know, one, just increase the profitability of their farm But also to provide those tangible environmental savings that are only becoming more and more valuable and regulated. But we can see. Like I said already, we're kind of at the tipping point where we have lots of organizations beginning to publish these breeding values for feed conversion, which is extremely exciting that that information is becoming available. But with that, we just need to make sure that we understand what the implications of selection may be, understand uh, what the definition of those breeding values might be, and how it might impact some of the areas that we talked about today. And so our producers and our industry folks will need to understand those measurements of feed conversion, the reliability especially of those measurements um, to make sure that they make the right breeding decisions and continue to make progress towards improving, you know, the environmental and the economic side of their herd.
0: And just in wrapping this up, as you said, feed efficiency and the research that's being done is at that tipping point. You do think, though, this will be uh, the continued focus as we try to breed to make sure that we are, as you said, not only economically but environmentally uh sustainable for the future.
1: Yes. One of the <laughs> phrases I always say to my daughter when she's getting in trouble is now you know better, so let's do better <laughs> <Yeah>. next time. <laughs> and I feel like that kind of is the same thing here, you know. We we haven't had the information in the past and we do now. And this is a trait that unlike a lot of other traits that may only benefit the producer and not the consumer, you know, this is a trait that it's great for everyone, for the producer and the consumer. And we see that it's, you know, in some ways some of the environmental aspects are being forced upon. And so I really do just see this as one of the biggest changes that our industry is going to go through in in the future years. And as other traits, you know, that, that might be animal welfare, health, production come about, those can all be incorporated in with it um, to continue to drive progress in the genetic selection of our cows.
0: Well, thank you very much, Jocelyn. I think now, besides your daughter, we all know better now, and we appreciate all the insights that you have shared during this edition of Dairy Stream. You've been listening to Jocelyn Johnson, a research scientist at ST Genetics. I want to thank her for her expertise and insights in a very candid conversation. As always, I want to say a big thank you to our producer and editor and the engine that keeps Dairy Stream rolling along. That's Joanna Guza. And I also want to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream today as we try to continue Continue to focus on topics that will increase the profitability and sustainability of your dairy enterprise. I'm Mike Austin, and this has been Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us podcast at dairyforward.com.